Welcome to Back on the Broomstick, a modern witch's spoken word grimoire, where two witchy friends from way back are reconnecting to their pagan roots after a long period of mundanity. We're rewalking the path of the wise and trying out all the latest spells, rituals, and magical theory in today's witchcraft and pagan practices. So grab your wand and your incense, your cauldron and your crystals, and join us as we get Back back on the Broomstick. Welcome to Back on the Broomstick. I'm Layla. And I'm Shell. And tonight we are so excited. You know, I don't know what we love more. Chatting to each other or listener emails. Thank you. (laughs) I have to say, we love getting your DMs, your emails, your comments on episodes, your reviews that you post online. Your stories. Oh, yeah. And the pictures. They're freaking awesome, by the way. Everybody who sent pictures, you're all freaking awesome. We had put out there last few episodes that we wanted to hear from you. And boy, did you guys like come out in force. So we wanted to dedicate an episode to responding to your emails and your comments and your questions and your stories. You guys are so amazing at sending us emails. And I apologize that I am not as good at sending them back. So some of you know I'm a little slow because... Life happens, you know. Life happens. And there's a lot to get through. And I appreciate it. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate it. But it might take me a minute to get back to all of you. And just so you know, she reads them all to me. It brightens my day. Oh, we love it. So we definitely wanted to give back to you guys by reading these and answering some of your questions so that everybody can take advantage of some of the information here because they're pretty awesome. So thank you all. And uh, let's get into some of these emails. So let's start with Meg. Meg sent us an email, which by the way, hi, Meg, how you doing? She said she ran a half marathon here in Salem. Where was I? Honestly, Meg. I am the least athletic person on the planet. I was probably in bed and I was probably only like a mile and a half away from you, but I was probably in bed. So you didn't see me at the half marathon because I was sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) If I was downtown, I was working. And if I wasn't downtown, I was probably in bed at the time of day where they would run a marathon on a Saturday. I've done 5Ks before, not very fun and not very fast. I definitely have not yet done any marathons. And she has questions. Aside from her little marathon thing, she's got questions. So we thought, what the hell? We'll answer them. So first of all, Meg asks, she's talking about our mirror episode. I don't remember what number episode that was. Layla will put it in the show notes. Now, Meg said she has a question about placement of the mirrors. We talked about a spell where you put the mirrors face to face and put your written spell in between them. So she's wondering if the mirrors are supposed to touch each other or where they're supposed to be placed and where she's supposed to sit. Well, it depends on what you're doing with your mirror, my friend. She's asking about if you do do them face to face, which there's a time and a place, which we'll get into that in a second. Do you want them touching, like touching, touching face to face? Me, probably not. Because you know how there's that thing you can do with your hands where you can like play with the ball of energy between your hands, but like your hands aren't touching, but you can feel it kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Same thing if you're doing a face-to-face mirror thing. You don't want them touching, but you want them in the same like energy sphere. I think what she's referring to is in that episode, we talked about a type of spell where you could write out a spell reversing something back to someone and making their own energy kind of bounce back to them. 
and taking that spell and putting that slip of paper in between two cheap mirrors that are facing each other and sealing it that way. So it kind of bounces that magic onto that person, just kind of bouncing it back and forth. For that particular spell, this is what I would do. I would put that piece of paper on a little string and put that string on a little toothpick and put that toothpick over the top of those two mirrors. So almost like it was dangling in between them. You know what I'm saying? I see what you're saying. Almost like it's hanging in between the mirrors. Not that the mirrors are necessarily touching. Like I said, they're in the same energy sphere, but not touching with that paper kind of almost like floating in between them, so to say. Okay, people, mark your calendars because this is going to be the first time, you know, I can't even think of any other time where Layla is going to go simpler than Shell is. Nuh-uh. Uh-huh. I say, take that piece of paper, stick it on top of one mirror, slap that other mirror right on top of it like a sandwich, put it together like an Oreo cookie, and just leave it there. Don't dangle no toothpick and string well, and paper. Who's see, got time for that? Here's the thing. A lot of the mirrors I use are kind of, they're in pretty frames. So it's, oh, yeah. difficult, it's difficult to like butt them together. That's different. You see what the, I'm saying? In that particular spell, I believe we talked about going to the dollar store and just getting like one of those cheap ass little mirrors that you can put like on the inside of your locker or something when you were at school. Just two cheap little mirrors to put it together so that someone's own negativity and their own energy will just repeatedly bounce back to themselves and not get out to you. You know, I never thought of a locker mirror. I can just see little people around having these shit rubber banded together. Since we did the mirror episode, I've actually seen a lot of people talk about a mirror box spell. That's very similar to the idea of, you know, having the mirrors face each other or me actually just slapping them together facing each other. Right. Some people will take a box, like a shoe box, and line it with aluminum foil. I mean, you could do actual mirror if you wanted to, but mostly I see people do aluminum foil, just whatever is reflective. And then they put that spell, like either a jar spell or written spell inside the box and close it. Basically, what that does is allows the energy to kind of reflect back to that person. Whatever they send out is going to come right back to them. You know, I've actually used aluminum foil as a mirror before. I'm just saying, sometimes, you know, obviously you want to use a mirror if you can. But, you know, sometimes shit just don't work out the way you want. And... I've learned that since I have moved a few years ago, there are less dollar stores in Massachusetts than there were in New York. There's no freaking dollar general here. Everyone's bougie in Massachusetts. I think it's job lot. Oh, okay. Which we're used to big lots and it's kind of the same thing. But like, you know how in New York there's like dollar general on every street corner? There's no freaking dollar general here. I don't get it. So yeah, tinfoil in a pinch. As long as it's reflective, who gives a shit? Whatever works for you. Exactly. And a really fast return to sender spell, write their name on a slip of paper and just write, sit in your own shit, bitch, or whatever you want to put on there. Crumple it up, wrap a little bit of aluminum foil around it, crush it into a ball and throw it in the garbage. And that reflective aluminum foil will just bounce their own negativity back and back to them and keep you protected. But when I'm doing some fancy pantsy sh- stuff, which I do. I know. Doing, two fancy mirrors, toothpick, dangling string. Dangling string. I love it. No, I love it. It's great. It's cute. It is. Well, also, what I've what I've done before is then at the end of such type spell, depending on where I'm going with it, it's easy to burn that paper in between the mirrors when it's dangling like that. Just saying. Oh, that's not to mention how that fire is reflective in both mirrors. Just saying. Just mm-hmm. saying. 
So don't be mocking my toothpick hanging paper. <laughs> I'm not mocking you at all. Now, Meg had a couple other questions, some practical things like where do you sit while you're doing this spell? And honestly, Meg, there's really no wrong way to do this. Ever. Sit at your kitchen table. Yeah. If you're working with fire, you might want to be doing it in your kitchen sink, you know, safety first. So you can be wherever. Some people have a dedicated space where they do spell work, which is really nice. Some people don't. So basically just wherever's comfortable and safe, particularly if you're using fire. Honestly, in a pinch, I've actually done a spell in a closet before at someone's house, if we're being real. So like wherever works for you, man. <laughs> and if you're using a black mirror, like Meg asks about, best way to look in a black mirror is kind of not straight on, more a little bit sideways. I was or... going to say more a little bit like not sideways per se, but like almost not like crossing your eyes, but like almost purposefully blurring your vision. Yeah, almost like you're looking at those old 3D prints. Yeah. But I don't like to use a black mirror looking straight on it. I like to have the mirror angled or angled away from my face or looking at it not not straight on, just angled a little bit away. That's what I think works best. I just, I don't know, even if it's just a regular mirror, you know, if I'm looking at myself to like get ready for work or what have you or, or, or to go out, that's one thing. But magically, I, I don't look things straight on like that. Same. Jeez, you never know who's behind you. Have you ever seen those horror movies where all of a sudden you look straight on in the movie and there's some shit behind you? Like, I don't want to see that. <laughs> yes, we've already established mirrors are a little <laughs> freaky. So I hope that answers your question, Meg. All right. So the next one comes from Regan. Regan's 44. We're right around there. And they say they've had one foot in the witchy world and one foot in the mundane world since their teens. And I really love this email. I really wish we all had all feet in the magical world, by the way. Just right? putting it out there. And we get that a lot, Regan, that, that listening to this podcast is like finding your tribe, like coming home. Because there's so many of us that are getting back on the broomstick. There's so many people. I, I've met so many people at the different conferences and festivals that I've been to that this is their first or second year of witchcraft. And they're just loving it. And they're experiencing that rush of coming home, of finding your people and really feeling like you belong in such a fundamental way. And, and I love that we're part of that. And I love Love that we're helping to bring that to people. So thank you, Regan, so much. We really appreciate that. I just I just also wanted to make a comment um, about Regan's email as well that I kind of took it as a little bit more of a, there's a lot of people in the sphere of our age group that we were all doing this shit in the 90s and for one reason or another had to take a step back and for one reason or another, we're all getting back into it kind of like, not all at the same time, but within a realm of the same time frame. And can't there be like a Harvard study on this? What is up with 40 and 50 somethings all of a sudden getting back on the broomstick? Why did we get off in the first place all in one mass exodus? And why are we all seemingly hopping back on in one mass exodus? Like, I, I don't know. It's very weird. But you know what, Regan? I'm so glad you are a part of getting back on the broomstick with us. But I really want a Harvard study on this because I'm curious. <laughs> I am too. I really do feel like it's a it's a calling that the world needs her witches, as Phyllis Curat says. And so absolutely, maybe the world's sending out the call and we're all answering. I don't know, but I am also glad to be part of it. So thank you. <laughs> what do we got next? Who do we got next, Layla? All right. So next we have 
Oh, next we have Megan. Megan says that they have recently been interested in learning more about witchcraft and happened upon our podcast. And Megan says that we've referred to various pagan traditions like Celtic, Norse, etc., and that she doesn't know much about those traditions and didn't realize that various traditions existed in such a differentiated way. And also, Megan is interested in how witchcraft and pagan practices in general are different across the various traditions. Before we address all that, I, I want to address her last question first. Megan asks, are there any plans to do an episode on this topic? And to first and foremost answer that question, yes. yes. Actually, we do have that um, listed on the calendar. I'm not given an exact date at the moment, but we we are planning on doing that. So definitely stay tuned for more info on this particular topic. But in general, first of all, I am glad that you listened to that episode. You know, we're kind of laying it all out there for you. But we didn't even touch on the surface. We didn't even touch on the surface of the traditions out there. And we won't be able to answer this question in full. Like Shell said, we do have an episode on it and it will be a big episode. We're planning on having a couple of guests from different traditions, but it's a big topic just to dozens, dozens upon dozens upon dozens. And we only had mentioned maybe four or five or six. To start out with, like the big things that you'll hear are heathenry which is Norse paganism. You'll hear paganism, which is basically any earth-based beliefs. Wicca. You'll hear Wicca, which is a more formal religion that has set rules and guidelines. And that goes back to Gerald Gardner. There's Alexandrian Wiccan. There's Gardnerian Wiccan. Alexander Crawley went off of that. So there's a not, not to interrupt you, but I just think that that's a whole nother point in and of itself. Wicca has its own different branches of tradition Correct. aside from the pagan traditions. Like there's so many branches and so many different. It, it's just a lot. It's there's a lot. There's right. a lot. There's Celtic traditionalist, there's Welsh. Egyptian. Egyptian, there's Druids and Druidry, the Androit Fane, there's the Golden Dawn. There's so many different types of Wicca and witchcraft. And again, those are typically more formal religions. And so they'll have their own rules. Then there is witchcraft, which is a much, much bigger umbrella. And you can be Wiccan and be a witch, pagan and be a witch, heathen and be a witch. Christian and be a witch. You can. I don't love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't ask if you loved it. I'm just telling you, you can. I know. Yes, you can. Whether I like it or not. We've had a couple friends, including um, a, a past coven member um, that was a Jewish witch. So, yeah, like you can be any kind of witch. Different umbrella. Different umbrella. Witchcraft is more of a belief system that has a few general similarities, but one witch is going to be very different from, from another witch yep. because it is a growing, learning, changing belief system that has at its core a belief that we are all deity. We are all divine. We are all part of this thing. Maybe not necessarily deity or divine. We are all part of this thing that is life, this energy system together. And that all of that is sacred in whatever way you see sacredness. And witchcraft also has to do with manipulating energy and forces to, to work your will to help you live more in harmony with the forces around you and with nature and with people. And, and I think the biggest difference is people get confused 
the religion aspect and the magical practice aspect because they are two different things. They are very different. And and again, paganism is more of an earth-based animist type approach. Heathenry is more Norse-based religions. There's the Corellians. There's the um, Church of All Worlds. This could turn into a whole different episode, and I don't want to do that. But we are going to do a future episode to touch on a a small portion of the different traditions because boy if we did all the traditions it would take us 96 episodes that's right so we'll have a specific episode about wicca and the history of wicca and wicca in america in particular and then we'll we'll go into more depth on all the other ones so hopefully that answers some of your question yeah i was gonna say i definitely hope that that covers it without turning it into an episode (laughs) thank Thank you you, megan all right so what's the next one shell okay so we've got Lori here And Lori's been reading a lot of uh, different books that all kind of touch base on somehow people are just born witches and some get into it later on. She wants to know, (laughs) do we believe that there are signs that you are a born witch? And if so, what signs do we think fall into that list? Wow. This is a this is a topic right here. This also could be a whole episode. I do have a sign to know Ooh. if you were a born witch or not. Really? Mm-hmm. So I take it I take it the answer to her first question is yes, you do agree that you can be a born wait, wait, that you can be a born witch or that you have to be a born witch. Please clarify your answer, ma'am. Oh, we're gonna answer that here in a second. But I'm just gonna tell you your signs if you know you're a born witch. Oh, okay. What are they? Were you born? That's that's pretty much it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were being serious and I was going, no. like, what the hell? No, no. Honestly, I, I believe everyone's born a witch. I mean, and everyone can become a witch. So yeah, they're both now, true. No, okay. I have a way to answer this question that could be maybe the angle that Lori's coming from. Okay. I do believe that... Everyone is born with abilities that as we grow up, that society and our cultures and whatever the hell you want to call it, I don't know, beats out of us, scares out of us, bullies out of us, whatever the case may be, and that we lose those abilities. I I believe that- You're talking about like psychic abilities and and magical abilities. Correct. Mm -hmm. Correct. So, yes, I do think that everyone is born with those types of abilities. It's just not everybody can hang on to a piece of it. Like, I feel like folks like you and I were able to hang on to a piece of it. And I think that other people aren't able to, but that we were all born with these types of abilities. My belief is that witchcraft is a belief system. So if you say you're a witch, you're a witch. And I think that a lot of people talk about being born a witch in a couple different ways. One is they talk about being a generational witch. My parents were witches. My grandparents were witches. I come from a long line of generational, traditional witchcraft. I feel like the only people who can really say that are our kids. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of, I would say that there, there was a couple Gen Xers that we knew whose parents were pagan. And I would say there's, you know, a few, there's a decent amount around the country. Then the millennials, I would say there's a lot of millennials. A lot of millennials. A lot of millennials whose parents are witches. I have a millennial. Exactly. And her mom's a witch, I swear. 
And then there's a lot of Zoomers, a lot of Gen Z and younger who are witches or whose parents were witches, grandparents, witches. I know there are generational families. Is it great if you learn something from your family? Yes. Does it really matter? Does it make you a better witch? No. It doesn't make you more validated. No. No. It might give you more access to information than someone else, which is cool. You know, information is great. But it doesn't make you any better or cooler. I I love it if you're a witch. My daughter loves the fact that she grew up as a witch. So great. You know, it's awesome. But it doesn't make you any better. And you don't have to have that to be a witch. You just have to say you're one. I think the other thing that they're addressing is a lot of us feel like when we find witchcraft, we're like, oh, thank goodness. This is what I have been believing and feeling and knew in my very soul right down to my toes was the right way to be in the world all along. I just knew this. I was making potions when I was a kid. I was writing spells. I was. I had this belief system. I just didn't know what to call it, but I've always been this way. And a lot of us feel that way. Right. And so you might say, I was therefore born this way. I was born a witch. And I think that's valid too. And I think a lot of us were. You know, like you were saying, it's just something that so many people are born with. And then for whatever reason, we put away for a while, maybe, and then come back to. So that just makes me want to break out to Baby, We Were Born This Way by Lady Gaga. Oh, yeah. Who doesn't want to? Lady Gaga rocks. Love you, Lady Gaga. So to Lori, um, that is what we think on being born a witch and you know, whatever works for you. That's, I feel like that's my motto. Whatever <laughs> works for you. I mean, it's kind of like, I think if you're, if you say, oh, I was born a witch, this is how I've always been. It can be extremely validating. But if you're trying to say, oh, I was born a witch and this is how we do it and you're doing it wrong. That's, that's not cool. That's a little different. Yeah. You know, I guess you want to see why someone says they were born a witch, but you don't have to be. It's not important. You are a witch if you say you are. But if you are, if you are generationally a witch, that is cool. Not going to lie. Sure. Kind of fun. Yeah. Why not? Having that access, having grown up. I mean, I would have loved to grow up in that environment. Right. We dragged our kids around to festivals and to fire circles <laughs> and to rituals and to spells. I was that weird parent at all of the volleyball games and the baseball and softball games. I was like the mom that everyone was like, oh, she's a witch. Yes, I am. Exactly. And that can be very, very fun. And I'm not trying to invalidate that at all. That's kind of cool. But it doesn't make anyone a better witch. Just might give you more access to information and you might have been able to do it longer. So next, this next male, this kind of touched me, Um, Amanda. So Amanda from Oklahoma has sent us a lovely message um, first of all, she would love to meet us one day. I think that's cool. And Amanda, you know what? Maybe one day we will be able to work that out. Absolutely. You know, Amanda, you're not the first person to say that. Right now, your best bet if you want to see us is next year at the end of March, we're going to be in Maryland at the Sacred yes, Space Conference. So you can check them out at sacredspacefoundation.org to see all the information, how to sign up, where to stay, You would definitely get to be in person with us at workshops and hanging out the entire conference. So check that out, sign up, and you'd you'd get to hang out with us. So for as lovely as that part of of Amanda's message is, now we get on to her question. So Amanda's from the Bible Belt, and she says there's not many covens there. 
that is heartbreaking to me. And we need to change that. She wants to start one, but she needs to know, does she have to be a high priestess to do so? Answer that, Layla. Oh, hell no. Right? (laughs) Seriously. No, you definitely do not need to be. And so the second part of her question is, if so, could we help point her in that direction? So I think that we should give her some tips and and tricks and point her in that direction now that we've told her not necessary. (laughs) Starting a coven is a fantastic way to get a group of like-minded people together and try out all those spells, learn together, study together, assign roles, uh, let everybody have a turn creating a ritual, leading the circle. So no, you do not need to have a high priestess. Will it make life easier? Well, yeah. Having someone with experience is a big help, but not necessary. It's almost like when when you're starting out and you're with a, a, a group of people and you're all kind of starting out together, it's almost like the high priestess ends up kind of default being the most organized person who gets every <laughs> freaking thing together in time. Pretty much. And <laughs> you will need someone to be, at least one person in the circle will need to be not necessarily in charge, but need to be the organized one. The right. person who keeps track of the calendar, who notifies everyone of changes in schedule, who makes sure that if the person who's going to lead ritual that night isn't there, that they have a backup plan. And also, one of the biggest things that you're going to need to do if you start a coven with or without a high priestess is interpersonal relationships and right. emotional management. Right. <laughs> you and that are- has nothing to do with being a high priestess. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that has a lot to do with being a high priestess. But Amanda, definitely be prepared for the first, you know, half hour, if not more of all your coven meetings and rituals is going to be a good old fashioned bitch session. People are going to need to get their emotions out. People are going to need this safe space to talk. So you'll you'll need to be able to handle interpersonal relationships. And that's one of the best things that you can do. Be organized and be able to work with the people you've got. And, you know, just remember there's nothing you're not screwing anything up you're not doing anything wrong and you will definitely find your path and it i don't want to say it'll all come to you but it'll all come to you we started a a teaching coven granted we had a little bit of experience under our belts but our big goal was to learn from each other was to teach each other was to to learn from other people and to teach them and to have that kind of coven is magical it allows you to grow in so many different ways The one thing you cannot do is call yourself an Alexandrian coven or a Gardnerian coven because those have initiatory practices that you have not followed. You would need to be initiated into that by another group to be able to then start your own group. Correct. But you could say you're a coven of witches or a coven of people learning, newbies. I hate the term baby witches, but you could even say we're a coven of baby witches if you want. But you just can't say that you're a member of a particular lineage or group. If you're not. If you're not, you know, you could say you're studying that, but you can't say that you are that if you have to be initiated into it. Other than that, go for it. Get down with your bad self. Seriously. So, Amanda, keep on fighting the good fight, and I hope you get your coven together. As a matter of fact, when you do get your coven together, drop us a line because I want to know how you made out. Now, I did kind of feel bad for Amanda because I looked on Mandragora Magica to see if there were any covens in the area. I think in the whole state, there were four covens listed. No shit. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's hard. Yeah. That's pretty harsh. Sorry, Amanda. Well, you know what? Amanda's going to create number five. There you go. Keep it witchy, Amanda. Okay. Now, this next one, really, I really wanted to include this one because this one um, touched me. It was very personal for me. So this email is from Lena, and I'm going to read the whole thing. So Lena says, hello, I love your podcast. I'm newly calling myself a witch, but in retrospect, I've been a green witch for most of my life. I wanted to ask your opinions on ancestral magic in a specific context. My grandfather passed away very recently, and of course, I've been grieving. Part of me wants to incorporate him into my witchcraft as a way to share my love with him. On the other hand, my grandfather was a devout Muslim, and I have zero doubt that when he was alive, he would have hated the thought of me remembering him through anything but Islam. So please pardon if this is a silly question. Do you think that changes after death? Do you think once our spirit is free of our body, it's free of constraining ideas as well? I would love to call my grandfather to me, be able to chat with his spirit if he's willing, incorporate his watch in an altar, but his living self wouldn't have been open to that, and I don't want to be disrespectful. What do you think? Lots of love, Lena. Oh, Lena, my heart breaks. I am so sorry. I have also had a very difficult year with a lot of losses. And in some cultures, it's considered disrespectful to talk to your loved ones for a year and a day after they've passed. That it's better to kind of give them that year and a day space to kind of acclimate. So that being said, it might be a little too soon to reach out to your grandfather. But in the meantime, I think that honoring him and remembering him in whatever way feels comfortable to you is the best way to do it. I do believe once people pass on, they are able to see so much more clearly. I think that they can see their whole life, the good and the bad. And I think that they can see the energy of the universe, the energy of life, the energy of the beyond that much more clearly. And I think giving it labels like Muslim, Christian, pagan, Wiccan. Are irrelevant at that point. Exactly. And I do think that all they really see is, are you a good person? Who are you? And I don't think religion matters that much. I mean, to some it can, sure. But I have had contact with my own ancestors and with other people that I've spoken to who have contacted ancestors who are very religious in life have found that they're still religious, but it's softer. It's more spiritual. It's more accepting. It's more in tune with the flow of, of life and love and nature. So you might find that that's your experience with your grandfather. What I recommend is maybe um, a year and a day after his passing, uh, maybe have a memorial. Definitely use his watch. Definitely yeah. hold his watch. That holds his energy for sure. A watch is such a personal thing. And ask him you know, approach him respectfully, maybe incorporate some uh, Muslim phrases that you love. There's a lot of poetry and beauty in that religion. You know, find something that speaks to you from that and approach him on neutral ground that way and ask him how he would like to be remembered. You know, tell him what you would like to do for him. And I believe that that conversation will go more easily than you think it will. I am always a believer of ask, you know, these, these are people that you loved and still love ask they'll tell you i mean i i wouldn't say that my grandmother was religious per se but she sure as hell wasn't down with what i do and there came a point where i just had to ask you know she kind of shows up to bitch here now 
but you have to ask. So ask your grandfather, he'll tell you. And I'm a very strong believer in reincarnation. I do think that energy can neither be created nor destroyed. And the energy that moves our bodies has been here from the beginning, and it will continue to be here for a long time. But I do feel that once someone reconnects with that oversoul, with that energy, they're able to see many different sides. And, you know, maybe there was someone who was very angry in this lifetime. And once you reconnect with them on the other side, they've had a little bit of time to, you know, integrate all those lessons and maybe find out why they were angry. Maybe not. But like Shell said, ask them present them with some of their favorite things, call to them with some of their favorite music, their favorite foods, their favorite pictures, you know, some of your favorite memories of them, and then ask them how they want you to approach them. So I am so sorry for your loss, Lena. It has been a very difficult year, and I have a lot of people that I am waiting a year and a day for. So I'm right there with you. Good luck to you, Lena. And hail the traveler. So... Moving on to the next email, we have one. Oh, I'm going to let you read this one, Shell, because this has to do with Hakate. This one, this this one's a good one. I can't read the whole thing because this one is so long, but I laughed. This email is from Sarah. Now, Sarah, first of all, what made me really laugh the most is the fact that <laughs> she was trying, she saw a picture of us on our website. <laughs> and she was trying to figure out whose voice went with whose face. Oh, no. <laughs> so you know what that led me to, of course. That led me to sit here and try to put my voice to your face and your <laughs> my face in my head. Which then oh, that's fun. Whole hysterical thing. So first and foremost, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> and I do apologize. I think... It took us a little while to realize that not everyone would know who was who because we know who's who. So obviously on our website, we do have our bios with our names and the the notice that I put out on Facebook about the Sacred Space Conference also has our pictures with our names on it. So hopefully that will help clear up any confusion. But what I thought, what I what I liked about this one as well, other than the how I got the funniest <laughs> half of that whole thing in my head, she was very interested in our Hakate episode. And I feel like that Hecate was nudging her in the right direction. So she makes this beautiful freaking wind chime. And like she sent this picture. I don't know if you're looking at the picture, but this thing is beautiful. Very lucky daughter-in-law. When you have a good mother-in-law, daughter-in-law relationship, cherish that shit. Because that shit don't happen often. <laughs> and you know, that was the other thing that kind of made me giggle. I'm like, wow, she likes her daughter-in-law. Shit, that don't happen much. Right? So lucky. <laughs> but first of all, she wasn't really sure what keys to use. Ended up using skeleton keys. Boom, right ones. It's funny how Hikate works like that. Right? She didn't know that she had anything to do with the moon. Boom. Guess what? So it seems like to answer her first part of her question, yes, Hikate was leading you in the right direction. She was shoving you by your shoulders. All I can think of, this is the visualization I have, someone behind you grabbing like the material above your shoulders and like shoving you down the street. <laughs> it's like, you know, skeleton keys. Yes, skeleton keys. And did you notice it was specifically nine, nine. skeleton keys? Now, for me, Hikate has been showing up a lot in the last few months, as, you, as I talked about on that episode. 
And particularly, she shows me 333. And three is sacred to Hecate because she is the triple-faced goddess. And nine is three threes. So I love that she had nine keys on there. How cool. She also mentioned the Christopher Hughes tarot deck, which everybody loves. I love it. Layla, don't talk about it. I love it. It's great. <laughs> hey, I season. like the Yule one and I cannot wait. He is coming out next year with a bee tarot and I am obsessed with bees. You know, actually, I am really excited about that because I think a bee tarot would be just the shit, man. It's going to be gorgeous. I cannot wait. Now, the artist for the Yule Tarot is Emma O'Leary Brown, and she's from Buffalo, New York. And as many of you know, I am currently in Rochester, New York. Right down the road. (laughs) And Buffalo is right down the road. So I'm really, really hoping that we can get an interview with the artist of those gorgeous, gorgeous cards. So the other thing I just wanted to point out about Sarah's email, other than her freaking phenomenal pictures, I just got to mention that again, by the way. She binges us on the way to work and while she's working. Well, you know what? I, too, like to listen to random stuff. Today was Christmas music at work. So I am glad knowing how sometimes work can be like totally sucky and you've got to have something to distract you from the nine to five bullshit. I am glad that we can brighten your day and be what distracts you from your work bullshit. Because, you know, Layla kept saying, we got to do another solarium. And I was like, oh, but I got a runny nose and I'm coughing. I agreed to do it and it made your damn day, Sarah. So I hope you like it. (laughs) I love those episodes. They're a lot of fun. Oh, she also wanted to know if we could start adding the ingredients that we use for our DIY stuff. I didn't even realize that we didn't. Sorry, Sarah. Sometimes shit just flies over our heads. I think she's talking about the teas and the smoke. She wants the recipes for what we're smoking and what we're drinking that day. That's probably why we forgot. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, Sarah, we definitely will do that coming up on our Instagram at Back on the Broomstick and also on our Facebook, also Back on the Broomstick. And hopefully on our blog too, maybe even on our newsletter if we're like feeling really inspired, we will have a bunch of smokable and drinkable recipes for you. Yeah, and actually I was thinking of putting out like a nice little Yuletide drink recipe on Yule. Stay tuned. That's coming right around the corner. Keep an eye out for it on the old Instagram. And I'm going to have the, hey, cuz, let's go for a walk recipe. (laughs) (laughs) For all of you who are trapped with family over the holidays and and maybe need a little pick-me-up or break. I love that. I love that. (laughs) That's the greatest name I've ever heard of. Right? Well, that's going to be the recipe you'll get for this Yuletide season. So, Sarah, thank you for the pictures. Thank you for the huge, huge giggle. And, yes, Hakate was pushing your ass down the street to get all that shit the right, proper way. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So what do we got next? Next, we have another Hecate email. This one's from Christy. Everybody loves Hecate. Everybody loves Hecate. I really do think it's that she's the goddess of witches. She She is is the queen of witches. And I really think it's witchcraft rising, woman. I mean. Hecate rising. Hecate rising. I think the resurgence of witchcraft all over the world. Oh, by the way, thank you all over the world. We love seeing all the countries pop up. Just seeing all these witches surging right now. Our numbers are getting bigger by the day. I really do think it is the time of Hakate. It is. It is. 
Christy says that, unfortunately, she is an old soul with a traumatic past, unfortunately, like many of us. And congratulations on stopping drinking. I am so happy for you. Bravo. Seriously, 110%, man. Good for fucking you. And now she says that our uh, Hecate episode intrigued and frightened her at the same time. (laughs) That's normal. (laughs) If you're not scared, it's not her. (laughs) She says that your bond with Hecate seemed to her to be very much a maternal sisterhood type of relationship. Would you say that's true? Yeah. Yeah. She she definitely. Yeah. In that whipping my ass. Yeah. 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 You know, a tough maternal figure for sure. Not always. You know, sometimes it's been okay, but kicking me in the ass, don't don't you doubt it. <laughs> Definitely a strong maternal, excellent sisterhood type bond for sure. Right, right. BFFs, ride or die. Christy says that she's a shelter veterinarian. And honestly, girl, Hecate loves that. One of the things you can do, I know Shell does not fuck with that aspect of her, but one of the things you can do to work with Hikate or to honor her is to volunteer at a shelter to, you know, go help walk dogs. So she definitely is a goddess that comes to veterinarians that work with dogs for sure. She mentioned that in her email. So I think that if you think Hikate might is. be interesting, she is. She is. And you already have a bond with her. I can see it in your email. So if you're interested in her, go for it. And she asked, will I dream it? Maybe. Maybe. Or it could be a whisper in the ear. Or all of a sudden you are like our last email and you buy nine keys and make a wreath. All of a sudden an episode on Hikate pops up when you were just thinking about her. Just being interested is enough. I mean, if you want to study her and follow her and worship her, I think that's great. That's all you need is an interest. Now, this is Layla's forte because she's like the internet wizard here. She asks if we know of any good covens in Las Vegas. I want to go to Las Vegas because, let's just face it, Shell likes a good casino. Not going to lie. Well, I'm going to point you in the same direction that I point pretty much everybody. Which, by the way, she pointed me in the same direction, and I actually was able to find a kick-ass coven in Salem, Massachusetts. So go, Layla. Listen to her advice. That's right. This works. Go Mandragora Magica. And yes, I know it sounds weird. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's just hard to spell, that's all. In Las Vegas, on this website, they have three different covens listed. They have Camping with Las Pagans, Inner Circle Sanctuary, and the Magical Bard Society. All of these have email and Facebook contacts. They were all updated very recently. So yeah, there definitely are covens in Las Vegas. And there's three that are pretty open about it. Layla pointed me in the right direction. So it's a good site. Check them out. You got nothing to lose by reaching out because generally they have like an email address or a phone number that you can reach out. Take a chance, man. Give one of them a call. Read the bios of the covens because this is exactly what I did. No joke. Read the bios and... You're going to know what ones feel like, you know what, maybe I should respond to that group. And the ones that you're like, okay, I need to keep scrolling. Look for meet and greets. Look for open circle nights. Um, You should be able to go and check them out. Nobody should have you sign anything right away or swear you to secrecy the first night. Sign something? Who's signing shit? Like, what is this, the IRS? You know, if you're asked to pay anything, something small, a nominal fee, fine. But, you know, most places won't. But maybe, especially if they have to cover some type of room fee or something like that. But if it's small, okay. But if they're asking you to sign or give away a lot of money, that's a red flag. 
But for the most part, you know, take a look at them. If they feel good, go check out an open circle or a meetup night. And definitely make sure that you are comfortable with whoever you're going to meet because, you know, let's all stay safe, people. So now the next one, I'm not even sure how to say this. Sibylle? Sibylle? I'm not even going to try because if you if you are an avid listener, you know I butcher names and I'm not going to be disrespectful and do that. So we're going with what Layla said. It's beautiful and it starts with Sybil. I'm not sure how to pronounce the A-I-S part of it. Sybil A? I don't know. It's very pretty. This sounds just like us. I love these emails that sound just like us. Yes, our people. She wants to know if we would consider an episode or two geared specifically towards ways to get back into your connection with practice and deity. And part of it is, it's not just ways to get back into it, but, and this is where we all got off the broomstick here, folks, struggling to find the time, the energy, and the connection after the bullshit of the mundane day and week. I get you. I get you. So much. So hard. (laughs) I can relate to this so much. And for me, the best thing that I have done is returning to my folk witchcraft roots, my everyday, what we used to call kitchen magic, basically whatever you could find in your kitchen. It's just so different than kitchen magic today, by the way. I mean, it can still be cooking, especially now. Because that's the best way to do it when you don't have time. Shell has a very magical shower in the morning. Use your shower time as your meditation, as your cleansing, as you're purifying your aura and your space and setting your intention for the day. When you drink your coffee or the tea in the morning, stir it deosil or clockwise and add an intention, add a spell to that as you're brewing it or as you're drinking it. Or, you know, like when when I have to go to my mundane bullcrap job, which I love, by the way, you know, I have to walk from, I park my car at a, a local train station and I have to walk from the train station to my work. And usually I have to stand at a crosswalk and wait for the crosswalk to let me go so I don't get plowed over by a car. And sometimes I just, am, well, I'm waiting for that crosswalk to start blinking, you know, I just kind of take in around me, not necessarily the cars and the other people waiting, but kind of my surroundings and nature and just the sky and I can smell the ocean from there. So I'm taking in the sense too. And, you know, sometimes it's just taking a moment and to just appreciate for a second what's around you. I've found that the absolute best thing you can do to get back on the broomstick is to be consistent. True, true that. The two things that I do in particular are one in the morning and one at night, because otherwise my neurodivergent brain is not going to hold on to them. So in the morning, my very first drink of the day, I drink with intention. I am also a cannabis smoker, so I do a little wake and bake in the morning. I have a little smoke and I have my caffeine and I take that five minutes and set my intentions for the day. I make sure to do my breathing, my meditation, grounding. And I started out very, very slowly. I said, I'm going to do this for one week and that's it. And I tried to be very consistent with it just for that week. And then at the end of the week, I said, well, I'm going to do it for the rest of the month. And that can see, and that's why the shower works for me because I have to take a shower every day when I wake up. (laughs) So it, it forces that consistency. You know what I'm saying? Yes. And the consistency is where the magic will come. Right. If every single day 
you do your meditation in the shower and you're cleansing in the shower and you have an intentional magical shower that completely changes the act of it. Yes, you're getting ready for work, but it is also a ritual in and of itself. But that's how I started with the shower because I, I, I have to take a shower every day. It's who I am. I'm that type of person. Um, not judging if you are not that type of person, but making something that I know I do every day, making it magic, bring the magic to you. Don't wait for the magic to just be there. Sometimes you got to bring it to you. And I bring it to my daily routine via shower. And then the other easy thing for me to do was at night, I was a sporadic journaler in the evening. So I got myself a gorgeous tarot deck that I really, really connected with. And I set a goal to at night before I went to bed, I would pull a tarot card from that deck and I would journal about it and I would meditate on it. And I did that intentionally for a month and it has continued. And so now I have those two moments in my day that are very magical. See, sometimes I don't have time for even that, though, is the problem. It's true. So as long, but you have your morning shower and you've done that at least most of the time. If you can do one of them and then add one more later, great. But if all you've got is that one, make it magical. And you'll find that it makes it easier for you to see the magic in other everyday things. Like when you add your herbs to your dinner or when you microwave your lunch, you can still add magic to that. And it also makes it easier for me to want to do spell work or ritual work or to honor the changing of the moon or the changing of the seasons because I have that daily practice under my belt. It's almost like once you start doing one thing, it almost starts to snowball. You know what I mean? Magic flows where intention goes. Right. You know, like you start with, you know, the meditative shower or what have you, and then it turns into, you know, you noticing nature as you're waiting across the street. And then it turns into starting to keep track of the moon phases again. And then it turns into, You're starting to keep track of Mercury retrograde, which, by the way, is it ever not retrograde? And then you get into, you start getting into different practice again. So it really is kind of a snowball effect. That's my opinion. Start with mundane things. Pick something you already do every day or pretty close to every day and find a way to make it magical. If it's your shower, buy special soap. Buy a super amazing after shower lotion. Buy something with scents that remind you of happiness, mindfulness, whatever intention you want to set for that day. Maybe you have a set of different bath bombs, bath bombs for your magical shower or different types of tea, different blends of tea or smokable herbs to set your intention magically for the day. So just take something you already do and elevate it and make it magical and then do it with intention. And then after that, it just flows. It literally, I swear it just flows. Whether whether you want to make time for it or not, it just does. I didn't even realize I was making time for it after a while. Wouldn't you agree? I do, 100%. And it makes it easier. Things start to happen. If you start to pay attention to it, it starts to happen more. So the more energy you can put into it, the more it's going to come out. You're going to, yep, absolutely. All right. So this next one is a little bit closer to... When this episode goes out, we'll kind of be right in the middle of the 12 days of Yule or the 12 days of Christmas, which we talked about on our episode of Yule Myths and Traditions. I've actually just recently come across this Three Kings Day 
okay, so maybe I I was under a rock my whole life. I didn't know about it till recently. And the whole, I always wondered why there were so many Christmas cards with three kings on them. Now I know. Oh, now the three wise men, right? They're called kings. Oh, I don't know. I think they're different. Oh, okay. Well, I know that the 12 days of Yule are different than the 12 days of Christmas because one starts on Yule, right. <laughs> the 21st, roughly, and one starts on Christmas, the 25th. We have a listener, Chandra, who wrote us in to explain what the 12 days of Christmas are because neither of us know what that is. And Chandra says that they do the 12 days of Christmas and the 12th night lands on Epiphany or Three Kings Day. And the three kings or magi are Balthazar, Melchior, and Gaspar or Casper. And it's also La Bafana Day in Italy, which we had talked about in that episode. Yep. So the 12 days of Christmas are a Christian thing, and the 12 days of Yule are kind of a pagan thing. Now, I don't know exactly what the 12 days of Christmas represent, but for the 12 days of Yule, it basically represents that. that kind it represents of- what my true love gave to me. Duh. <laughs> well, that's the 12 days of Christmas, right? The 12 days of Yule are more about personal comfort, going within, taking care of yourself, you know, wrapping things up. And I kind of like that tradition. Well, all I know is at the end of the 12 days of Christmas, there's a partridge in a pear tree. And I love pears. <laughs> and apparently on 12th night, there's it's also Sherlock Holmes' birthday. So Ooh, that's pretty cool. That I did not know. So thank you for that little fact, Chandra. I appreciate it. Chandra, you have a very happy holiday season. So our very last email is from Kimberly. And Kimberly sent this email particularly because we asked for them on our Yule Traditions episode. So thank you so much, Kimberly. We ask Kimberly delivers. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Kimberly lives in Hawaii and is also a... I can't even, Kimberly. First of all, I can't even. Why did you have to put that in your email? I didn't need to know that you lived in Hawaii. Because let me tell you, right now, it is like 38 degrees in New England. And you're in Hawaii, probably (laughs) on the beach. Damn you. Now, I'm very excited for your family's first Yule celebration. I hope you have a lot of fun. And I'm so excited that you're going to use my family's four candle ceremony. It is beautiful. That is very very cool. That is very cool. My kids are ecstatic that you guys are going to be using it too. So we'll be thinking of you a little bit and sending you a happy Yule energy when we light our first candle. But Kimberly says that it's a little bit weird celebrating the solstice in Hawaii because it's 80 degrees there. There's no Well, snow. yeah. Lucky. That's what you get. <laughs> I'll trade you. I'll trade you. You come to New England right now and I will pack up and move to Hawaii. Now, I lived in Southern California for quite a few years when we first started podcasting together. And I also found that the warmth in the middle of winter was something I loved, but it did make the season feel a lot different. And Kimberly wants to know if there's any ways to adapt these European-American witchcraft traditions while still being in a place that's very tropical. First of all, if I lived in Hawaii, I would be decorating a palm tree just as we decorate traditional Christmas trees here in the Northeast. My ass would have ornaments hanging from a palm tree. No fucks given. The solstice itself celebrates the shortest day and the longest night. How does that work in Hawaii? Well, they're a little closer to the equator, right? A lot like Southern California is, I'm pretty sure. So for me, when I was in Southern California, the days and nights didn't get too terribly short this time of year, but it was noticeable and things were cooler. And so I didn't necessarily celebrate winter per se, 
But I did celebrate the solstice itself and focused on the return of the light and the return of the sun growing stronger and the days getting longer. I also recommend focusing on where you're at. Spirit of place is really, really important. You know, focus on where the mountains are. In Hawaii, I know that Pele. Yeah, the volcanoes, the land itself is sacred. So focus on those sacred spots where the water is and the spirits of the place where you live yourself, you know, where your house or your apartment is, you know, focus on the land right around you and honor that and honor the celestial season. And that might help you to find the meaning in the solstice more so than snowy New England type Christmas scenes. I think my biggest piece of advice would be tailor it to what feels right for you and your environment. You know, here we might focus on on the wintry aspect. You could focus on the energy of the ocean. Like Layla said, either the energy of the mountains, the, the volcanic energy, Pele energy. You got a, a lot to roll with there in Hawaii. So just kind of mold it to make it more location appropriate, if that makes sense. Witchcraft, it's very important to modify it to where you're at. Um, because that's like the key to this whole thing (laughs) works for you yeah whatever works for you and and meet yourself where you're at literally and figuratively you know and meet the spirits where you're at and try to incorporate them as much as you can maybe your solstice celebration will focus more on the sun because it is 80 degrees there celebrate that the sun this time of year isn't out to kill you but is just out to grow things to get ready for spring celebrate the return of that strength I want to be in Hawaii. We should go visit her. (laughs) We definitely should. Well, thank you all so much for all of these emails. I loved every one of these emails, guys. Love, love, loved them. So if we didn't get to your email on the podcast, please do not worry. I will email you back. It takes a little bit of time. It's just Shell and I here. There is no behind the scenes crew. It's just us. We We are the behind the scenes crew. (laughs) That's right. We're We're all of the the scenes, scenes. behind the side of the scenes. We're all the scenes. We're the motivators. We're everything. (laughs) But we will get back to you, whether by DM, email, on the website. Thank you so much for getting in touch with us and for being part of our little witchy circle. We appreciate you all. Love you guys. Be wise, be wicked. And as always, keep it witchy.